Shut up and sit down. I'm Dr. Corbin Weaver, an OB-GYN resident. I'm Dr. Katie Wyatt, and I'm one too. And I'm Dave Etler, their podfather. And, and we, we are, are the Vagabonds. Three friends venturing through the world of feminism and healthcare for women, babies, and people of all kinds. We don't give medical advice, and we don't speak for anyone other than ourselves. We're just recording conversations we'd be having in bars anyway. This week, we're going to talk about abnormal uterine bleeding. So, Yay! That's like the most interesting thing we've all ever heard. <laughs> hey, JK, it's, it's so important. common. This is literally my bread and butter as a gynecologist. Dave. I will say that oh, the my. nice thing about being an OBGYN is there's like a limited number of chief complaints. Yeah, there's like a very, <laughs> you know, finite like, number of things you have to like yeah. absolutely know about. And a That's finite number nice. of organs you have to know about. Yeah. I was very proud of myself because I haven't like really looked at my anatomy yet, which I should have because I was in the OR, but I did get pimped on like a blood vessel and what blood vessel it came off, off of and I got it right and I was extremely proud of myself. I was like, which yes, one was it? it was what where the uh, inferior hypogastric comes off. The external iliac. Yep. Yeah. Guys, before we continue too much, I am wondering if my internet problems might be uh, something wider than just my house. So... Because it keeps happening. Oh, so okay. just um, continue on if I disappear and we'll just, you guys can just pretend I don't exist for this one. Okay. Okay. That's unfortunate, but yes. Okay. So, well, Dave, what do you know about abnormal uterine bleeding? Well, I am pretty sure that it is, um, if it's abnormal, it's got to be a little bit um, dangerous. Sure. Um, it, uh, it probably, um, I mean, it could be, it could be, uh, abnormal of, uh, in terms of the time in which, uh, you're bleeding. It could be abnormal in the amount in which you're bleeding. Mm-hmm. Could be abnormal. Get the nail right on the head. It could be abnormal, um, of, from the orifice. Mm, well, no. Oh, it has yeah. to be orifice? Yeah. Oh, that was just a guess on my part. It has to be from the uterus. Okay. All <laughs> it's right. in the name. those are very good guesses though yeah um i like this thing where we make dave tell us what he knows about that needs to be the first part of the episode every time it's just dave what do you know about this thing (laughs) keep doing this because it's painfully obvious that i a don't know what we're going to talk about ahead of time and b that you've you know i just i, I like this yeah and it's I like also it, yeah. painfully obvious that you have learned a lot from us in the past year <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah there might, we might get to the point where i start to know many you know i it, it's less interesting because i know many things yeah yep um okay so anyway so corbin what was the first thing that you said when i said we we're going to talk about abnormal uterine bleeding Oh, Palm Cohen. Yeah. So anyone who's learned about abnormal uterine bleeding knows Palm Cohen. So first thing we're going to do is talk about the definition. So the definition of abnormal uterine bleeding is any bleeding that is outside of the normal menses. So normal menses we've kind of talked about in the past, but a normal cycle length is anywhere from 21 to 35 days. So 28 days is like the quote unquote standard, but you can have seven days on either side of that. So 21 to 35 days. And the duration of menses is an average of four to five days. 
And if you have greater than seven days, it's considered abnormal. And average blood loss per cycle is 35 milliliters, which actually, if you think about that, that's not very much blood loss at all no, that's versus cool. like what it looks like, which is crazy. Um, and it's abnormal if it's greater than 80 mils per cycle. And um, so that is the definition of abnormal uterine bleeding. So there's a couple other definitions. So menorrhagia is heavy bleeding. So this is an increased flow or increased duration. So that'd be like greater than seven days or greater than 80 milliliters. Metarrhagia is irregular or intermenstrual bleeding. So like bleeding that happens in between cycles. Menometarrhagia is a combination of the two. Oligomenorrhea is intervals that are greater than 35 days. So in essence, you have less periods a year. And polymenorrhea is intervals less than 21 days. So you have too many periods a year. And so those are just like some basic things, just so people kind of know like what we're talking about. Laying the groundwork. Yeah. Um, Which is also good because like a lot of times you have to like counsel your, you have to like educate your patients first because they'll come in and say like, I have like weird uterine bleeding and you find out that their cycles are like 30 days or like 34 days long instead of 30 or 28. And you're like, it's normal and that's, it's okay. Or like, I only have a period for like three days, but like, you know, anything less than seven is okay. You know? Mm -hmm. So anyway, so that is the definition of abnormal uterine bleeding, which also like you can kind of tell encompasses a lot of things. So like if it's anything that's not normal menses, like that's a lot of things that aren't, you know, don't fit into that like very Mm -hmm. strict definition. As an aside on a residency note, when you said encompasses, I picked up on compass, which is our EMR. And I had a little bit of a visceral reaction to that (laughs) word. Oh dear. Are you all right? (laughs) The worst. Uh, Anyway, so then back to what Corvin was saying with Palm Cohen. So Palm Cohen is basically the way that we gynecologists or anyone who deals with abnormal uterine bleeding remembers that um, the causes of the bleeding. So are you going to put me on it? Sure. Also, I just want to say that we often we call it abnormal uterine bleeding AUB. That's how we. Uh, uh, what's what the called? cool kids say? It's the lingo. Yeah, it's the, it's the lingo. Abbreviate. That's the word Abbreviate, I was looking for. Yeah. God. <laughs> We're really struggling. Because you you're failing are... at medicine if you have to use the full word. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> LMP, AUB. Yeah. I feel NSF, like our... NSVD. I feel like our Sometimes. listeners are going to be able to track how far along you are in your residency by how quickly you get your words back. Yeah. Our yeah. aphasias that we're having. Yes. I think it's called intern aphasia, actually. Yeah. I'm naming it. Yeah. Okay. Um, also, we should have an episode that's literally every single um, acronym that we can think of <laughs> in gynecology. We'll just start making a list of them and we'll just be quiz Dave. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That could be pretty though. (laughs) What do you think this means? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So the differential diagnosis of abnormal uterine bleeding is represented by Palm Cohen. So can you tell me the difference between Palm and Cohen first, Corbs? Uh, Yes. Palm is structural. Yep. And Cohen is not structural. Yep. So what's the P stand for? Polyp. A. 
Adenomyosis. L. Leomyoma, aka fibroid. And M. Malignancy slash hyperplasia. Yeah. So, like Corbin said, these are the structural causes, which just means that they are a structure that's in the uterus that's causing you to bleed. So, um, a polyp is like a growth of tissue that's like sticking out into the uterus or um, some of you can have cervical polyps too. So sticking out of the cervix and they bleed just because they're like kind of weird tissue, not atypical tissue, but just like, they're just like hanging out there. And so they can like really easily bleed. Um, It's also like polyps in your colon do the same thing. Like polyps in your colon can really easily bleed because they're just kind of like hanging out there in the wind. Adenomyosis (laughs) is endometrial glands like in the muscle of the uterus yeah right? yep yep you actually i never heard it described before i uh started my residency here but here they just tell people it's like endometriosis of your uterus yeah yeah it's endometrial implants inside the myometrium very um, painful yes it's extremely painful and it can make give you weird bleeding and then um Lyomyoma, so that's another word for fibroids, which like uh, fibroids are super common. Um, I feel like we should just do a whole episode on fibroids because they're so common. And especially here in the South, like a lot, they're really common in African-American populations. And um, like every, you know, everybody has fibroids basically. Like a shocking amount. Yeah. Um, And then the most, so there's like different kinds of fibroids and there's one called submucosal, which means it's like underneath the mucosa of the uterus and it's the most likely type to bleed. Uh, But you can also have other things like, uh, like if you had one that was like inside the uterine cavity, it could bleed, you know, just kind of weird stuff, which we'll cover more in our fibroid episode. Um, and then malignancy and hyperplasia. So this is where uh, cervical cancer, endometrial cancer, or hyperplasia of the endometrium can cause bleeding. So cancers are generally, I would say, more friable tissue, which means that they just bleed more easily so like you could look at them and they would start bleeding basically because they're just very delicate tissues Mm -hmm. and they require a large blood supply and so it just makes them really easy to bleed Uh, which is kind of good in that sense that like if you are having abnormal uterine bleeding then we can test you for cancer and so it's something that we can find um, more quickly because it has an obvious symptom Mm -hmm. Uh, and then the non-structural causes is the cohen so what's the c for coagulopathy yes and the o ovulation dysfunction or ovulatory dysfunction yeah and the e endometrial and i iatrogenic and non-categorized yep (laughs) good times we're so helpful i know it's good to have that as a category though i guess yeah Okay, so the C, coagulopathy. So this is anything that makes your blood not be able to clot right. And so basically, if your blood can't clot, then when you have a period, it's going to either last longer or have more bleeding because the things that would normally make your blood clot aren't doing it. So these are things like von Willebrand's disease or like hemophilia and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or leukemia. Leukemia can also do it, which is scary, <laughs> by the way also like just a thing to remember to check you know if you're having someone who has like a lot of like menorrhagia you should check their blood like their cbc which you do anyway and then ovulatory dysfunction so this one is weird 
um we actually i had a lecture about this yesterday and we kind of talked about how like ovulatory dysfunction or things like hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis is like the way that your hormones from your hypothalamus regulate your pituitary your pituitary regulates your ovaries and then back you have like negative feedback anyway when you're going through puberty and you first start having periods this is like not quite regulated yet and so you can have weird bleeding because the hormones are like just starting and ramping up and everything mm-hmm. so it's really that's why it's really common to have like weird periods when you start your period they're not like always regular and everything another thing would be perimenopause so this is like the opposite it's when you're like lowering all those levels you're lowering your number of eggs you're lowering your number of follicles and so you're having weird bleeding because you don't always have like an ovulation you don't always have high enough levels of hormones and etc so you're having weird bleeding mm-hmm. and then also pcos which we talked about in our last episode so if you're having an anovulatory cycle so you're not having enough hormone to release that egg and ovulate then you're endometrium gets kind of freaked out and doesn't know what to do and so you can either have too much bleeding or too little bleeding and then there's a like obesity also can make you bleed more or less too that's a risk factor and then hypothyroidism because your thyroid hormone like affects everything basically um and then endometrial is the next one so endometrial we were talking about this in lecture yesterday so (laughs) endometrial is kind of like also not known it's like an unknown because we actually i'm not going to talk about this on the podcast but we talked about like the exact like cascade of things that happen in like the menstrual cycle including like the matrix metalloproteinases and like all these like weird shit that happens and like the all the like endothelial growth factors that make the spiral arteries grow and like all that stuff so basically the idea is that something in that like milieu of factors is wrong is off or is like there's something wrong with it and so um we the idea is that like we don't know exactly what that is but you can like you can kind of like make the diagnosis that it's based on an endometrial factor and then also things like infection and um inflammation in your uterus could also cause an endometrial quote-unquote endometrial cause of it And then iatrogenic, so iatrogenic means that we did it to you. (laughs) So um, that would be like if we were giving you an anticoagulant like heparin Mm -hmm. or warfarin, um, you would have increased bleeding because it thins your blood and decreases your ability to clot. So obviously you would have more vaginal bleeding. Um, Also, by the way, that's my least favorite ER consult when they're like, they're on warfarin, they're having a heavy period. And I'm like, and? (laughs) What do you want me to do? Like, we know that. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's expected. Um, And then also like medical devices. So this would be like when people have heavier periods on the Paragard, the copper IUD, because copper is inflammatory and you're having a heavier period because we put something there. And that's okay as long as it's like not disrupting your life, essentially. And then not yet classified. So this is everything that we don't know about, which is a lot, unfortunately. So, yeah, that's all the different causes of abnormal uterine bleeding. So the way you figure out who, um, what it's from is basically you kind of start by like what age is your patient. So your younger patients, like from puberty to 18-ish, those patients, you know, it's more likely going to be like, I talked about the puberty thing, contraceptive use, so an iatrogenic cause. Um, pregnancy can also cause abnormal uterine bleeding. 
um, infections and coagulopathies because there's some coagulopathies that you like that come out as you are um, going through puberty, basically. And then in reproductive years, so basically 19 to like mid 40s, pregnancy can um, lyomyoma. So fibroids are super common at this time. Polyps are super common at this time. Anovulatory bleeding is a huge cause and also contraception and et cetera. And then after age 40 or uh, sometimes earlier, depending on the population, um, hyperplasia or cancer becomes a much more increased risk that we worry about. Mm -hmm. And then also the same things like fibroids, polyps, um, anovulation, and then also menopause once you get to like the mid 40s and above. So what you do is you take a history like we like you do a physical exam like you do and you got to make sure you do your pelvic exam. So pelvic exam is going to tell you if there's like cervical pathology or if there's a big fibroid that you can feel on exam, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And then your history is going to involve like figuring out if it's cyclic or non-cyclic bleeding. So if it's cyclic, it's they're, they're having ovulatory cycles. And if it's non-cyclic, then they're having anovulatory cycles, which, you know, leads you in two different directions for things it could be. And then you get a pregnancy test because obviously pregnancy is a cause of abnormal uterine bleeding. You Indeed. get a CBC, so a complete blood count. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I just remember what CBC meant because I just use it all the time and don't know if I could tell you what it meant. Mm-hmm. It's a complete blood count. Good anyway, work. Because you got to know like what your hemoglobin is, what your platelets are, how many red blood cells you have, how many white blood cells you have. You get a TSH or a thyroid stimulating hormone. Because like I said, the thyroid controls a lot of stuff in your body. And prolactin, which is like a hormone in your hypothalamus that makes you, when there's a lot of it, it makes you lactate, hence prolactin. But it also has some like negative feedback effects. And then you do a pap smear. You test for STDs like chlamydia and gonorrhea. And then if you are suspicious of a coagulopathy like hemophilia or von Willebrand's or some kind of like, you know, sickle cell or, you know, some, something like that, then you would do those tests. And then you can do an endometrial biopsy, which you sample the endometrium. So you like insert this catheter into the uterus and you take samples of the cells of the endometrium and then you send them to the lab and they, you know, evaluate them for like if they look normal, if they look abnormal, and then if there's too many or too few, and et cetera. And then you can do them. It, like, tests for endometrial cancer, basically. Uh, and then you can do a pelvic ultrasound. So this is, like, to see what the inside of the uterus looks like and also measure the endometrial stripe. So that's just, like, how thick the endometrium is in the uterus. So if it's too low, it could be, like... Like, so a postmenopausal woman should have a really, really thin endometrial stripe because they don't have any uh, hormones that are causing it to proliferate because you're done having periods. Um, So if they had a thickened endometrium, it would be worrisome for cancer or hyperplasia because that is something that shouldn't be there. However, if it's a young woman and they have a really thin endometrial stripe, then that also is worrisome for something that's... um, for something that's abnormal because they should have an endometrium that is proliferating and sloughing every cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so lots of things to do. And then when you figure out what it is, you basically treat the thing that's making it the way it is and um, see if it gets better. <laughs> and then you like find another thing. So uh, the ways we treat it, 
the most common way is if your patient is does not want to become pregnant, then you just treat them with a contraceptive, a hormonal contraceptive, because hormonal contraceptives um, suppress the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian access, and so they make you so that your endometrium doesn't proliferate and slough every month. Um, and so it basically puts a stop to any. Well, you can prescribe it so that it puts a stop to any bleeding, and so then you just don't have to worry about it. And then if you don't want contraception, um, then you can use a couple different things. So NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. This is like ibuprofen or uh, like naproxen. So you can use those at the at the first day of your menses and throughout your menses. It decreases bleeding by 20 to 40 percent, um, which is really interesting because uh, we kind of talked about this yesterday in, in lecture, but the reason it does that is because of like the uh, uh, prostaglandins that it, are pro-inflammatory that that the NSAIDs are working on are like around at the time of menses and not in other times. So that's why that taking it during menses is really the only time it's going to help you, um, which is really just interesting mm-hmm. to me. And then there is a drug called trans tranexamic acid um it's also the brand name is lysetta um but it is an anti-fibrolinic agent so it is like new and it's very expensive so it's really hard to give it to patients but hopefully in the future it will become um you know it'll go on the generic list and it'll be easier to give patients but um basically it can reduce bleeding by a third um, which is exciting and it's safe in pregnancy. It's pregnancy category B, which is like very exciting thing. Um, it's also, it's also come sometimes called TXA. I've heard it like, um, abbreviated as that. So, and then you can give a progestin. So a progesterone type hormone, um, and it protects the endometrium. So it basically, mm, keeps it from proliferating too much. Is that right? Uh, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. essentially. Uh, and then there's like things you can do if you're like need to stop the bleeding right this minute. So um, actually, I had to do this this week. Uh, you can give IV estrogen. Hmm. So basically, estrogen causes endometrial proliferation. So mm-hmm. what you're doing is instead of like trying to stop the bleeding, you're basically trying to cover it up with endometrium. So like you're covering up the blood vessels by mm-hmm. making the endometrium thicker. Yeah. And then like it controls the bleeding. And then basically you're like resetting the cycle because they will have a withdrawal bleed eventually. But you are like making it under a more controlled circumstance, if you will. Um, so you give IV estrogen and then you trans like change it to oral and then you like switch to a, mm. a or a combined contraceptive. Um, that's actually why people get weird spotting with Nexplan on though. Yeah. Is because it does like such a good job of like thinning out your lining of your uterus that it like thins it too much sometimes mm-hmm. or often rather. Yeah. Um, and then you can do other things. And then if you can't stop the bleeding, you still can't stop the bleeding and then you do surgery. So you can do a dilation and curettage, which just means we dilate the cervix, put in a curette, which is a thing that has a sharp edge on it. And we basically just like rough up the inside of your uterus to get all of that endometrium out. And then, um, you can, you can also take a biopsy from that too. So you like send the curette, curette, what do you call that? The curettings? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
the trimming i don't know, I don't know. The trimmings. I don't know. it has a word the trimmings. Yeah. um but anyway you take the stuff that you get and you send it to pathology yeah <laughs> but this is like i mean it will stop the bleeding so that's just you know uh, and then you can do hysteroscopy. So this is just putting a camera inside the uterus and looking uh-huh. at what's in there. So this is like if you had like a, a fibroid or a polyp, you would do that to diagnose it. Or to you can also remove it with, with hysteroscopy. And then um, you can do it like the last two options are endometrial ablation and hysterectomy. So endometrial ablation, basically you insert something into the uterus that either uses electricity or heat or laser to ablate the endometrium. So basically it's like using cautery on a blood vessel, except you're doing it to the entire inside of the uterus. So it's um, like supposed to be the last line of like a non-hysterectomy method. And you like cannot get pregnant afterwards. You can't like get an IUD afterwards. Like you basically, it like should scar down your uterus so that you shouldn't have any more periods ever. And then if nothing else works, then you get a hysterectomy. You just take your uterus out, which is like unfortunate if you're a younger woman and you have to have that done. Um, Mm -hmm. But if you are older and you're past your reproductive years, then I guess it's a good option. But yeah, anyway, there's that. Okay. Any questions? That was a lot. Good job, Katie. Thanks. It's it actually very... is like a, I mean, the algorithm can be kind of complicated sometimes if it's yeah. not like some of the, once you get into the hormonal stuff, it gets complicated. Yeah. Well, and we talked about it in lecture two yesterday. It's like very rarely does a woman have one of these things, you know, like yeah. she could have like four or five different risk factors or like potential causes. And then you just like have to treat the most likely one. And if it doesn't work, you just have to keep going, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's very interesting, but it keeps me in business, so I guess. Good Can't complain about that. I mean, yeah, like like most of the OR cases I was in this week were like things we were doing for abnormal uterine bleeding, so it's like a huge part of our job. Yeah. Um, and it's like a huge like loss of happiness and mm-hmm. like what's that called? Um, quality of life. Yeah, quality, yeah, quality of, life. of life. Like one of my patients this week she quit her job because her you know her abnormal uterine bleeding was so bad that she like wasn't able to work you know so it's like a huge thing if we can help these patients and fix it it's like a huge quality of life thing Mm. so yeah yeah i mean you'd be really shocked how much people can actually bleed Mm -hmm. yeah it's crazy yeah we had a very interesting case this week and it was a lot of bleeding but yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel enlightened now, Dave? I do. I do. I'm. Ju- I'm. I've read. I read. Read an article um, about a program at uh, Howard Brown's Women's Health in um, Chicago area. They're having. Uh, they're holding sexual wellness sessions Mm. um it's basically a sexual and reproductive health drop-in program um it's sort of like sex ed but for women's health Mm -hmm. and basically um they're designed to be um places they're designed to be sessions for um, people to learn ask questions get any health services they might need from pelvic exams to birth control they also do um what sounds like um sounds like 
you know, group sessions where they, people can talk about their questions and problems and, and, um, learn more about their bodies, um, sexuality, uh, LGBTQ issues, things like that. There was a participating sex educator with, uh, a local feminist, um, sex shop, um, mm. And, uh, you know, the whole goal is to, um, you know, sort of present these topics to people um, in fun, uh, inclusive ways um, and to sort of, you know, it sounds like a, a, in some ways, a community building exercise as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Sounds like, um, sounds like a great model um, to, uh, to sort of, I don't know, normalize and discuss and, and um, maybe even enjoy aspects of women's health together yeah in a way that's not usually i mean you, you know usually if you have a women's health problem you go to the doctor and you know it's a there's sort of right. a private um and it is a private environment but this is a way to i don't know make it make it uh, more interesting more fun more more of a learning experience yeah that's cool sign me up i want to do that someday maybe you'll have the uh maybe when you get your language back you'll be yeah. able to start <laughs> concentrate on building these sorts of programs wherever <laughs> you and wherever you are yeah uh that's awesome that's kind of, it's kind of like centering but for like sexual that's exactly what i was thinking of. yeah it sounded a lot like that um the centering yeah. that we talked about um, several episodes ago um yeah was it, was it, was it... actually they have something like that at iowa for breastfeeding oh, yeah? so it's like one afternoon a week it's like a drop-in thing for breastfeeding moms mm -hmm. who like need mm -hmm. help and you can just like drop in whenever you know between these certain hours and there's lactational consultants there and you can like you know um troubleshoot things with the other parents and the lactational consultants and it's really cool people really like it it's it's very um it's it's sort of like in-person internet groups in a way you know like where you just mm -hmm. you know, sort of go there to look for look for solutions to problems or just learn learn more about something that you're curious about or you know and mm -hmm. I'm sure they do. It's, it sounds like they do talks and, um, you know, sort of things like, the, you know, pre presenters come and present on various topics and things like that. Sounds really cool. Ooh. Yeah. Do we have any? Um, do we have any that is a really uh, cool. Do we have any fallopian? Dave, files? are we going to have like a new sting for your news corner? I, I don't know. We'll see. I think we should. We'll see. I like we'll it. See. I like it, too. Philippine files. files. What do you got? Um, I, I have to think. Mine is. I just saw an ad recently that Anne of Green Gables is back <gasps> Anne on with Netflix. An e, you mean? Anne with an E here. Yeah. Yeah, it's very good. So I don't know much I mean, about well, Anne of Green Gables. To be honest, I don't mm -hmm. know much about Anne of Green Gables. What? I've heard the title many times. I've. Uh, I know it's yeah. a very. You should watch it on Netflix. If not, read the book. I mean, the book is like you can read it with Coraline. Sure. What would you what yeah. if if somebody like me didn't know anything about Anne of Green Gables, how would you summarize the uh Anne is a spunky independent soul who gets into adventures in on her life in rural Canada. Okay. 
This is the difference between me and Corbin. I think this encapsulates it perfectly because my description of Anne of Green Gables would be Anne is an orphan girl with red hair who hates it and it's she gets adopted by this old brother and sister couple and she lives with them but they wanted a boy and it's about her and them falling in love with her and keeping her. And I just think it's interesting that Corbin describes the like spiritual and metaphysical Anne and I describe like the actual like real life what's it called the um like concrete real life and yeah and i just think that's like very much our personalities <laughs> uh, indeed it something is something for everyone <laughs> in anne of green gables yeah but it's very good i uh when corbin and i were in niger that summer i read uh the whole series oh. it was very fun i'm gonna i'm gonna attempt you know sometimes when you tell your kids hey you should read this they're like whatever mm-hmm. Dad. but if you read it together yeah, you know that's true. I don't know. Is that a thing you do? I don't know. On TV, parents read together you know, with their kids. I, I don't honest, know if that's a thing that people really. This do. This probably makes me a terrible parent, but I've never really enjoyed reading to my children. Yeah, I don't think that makes okay. you a terrible person. People like to do different things. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, I just find it boring. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. You d- you're a good dad though, I d- so I think it's fine. I do try to. S- it's not your like. It's not like you're like. I hate spending time with my kids. Yeah. It's yeah. boring. Yeah, it's like no. It's you, true. I love spending you know. time with my children, but uh, yeah, reading to them. I do uh, try to spice it up when I went. You know, in the back before they could read, I did try to spice it up by using different voices and such. So ah, yes, I can see that. That would be great. Yeah. Um, but so since Corbin's was Anne with an E on Netflix, mine will be the podcast The Recapery. So it's based off another podcast called The History Chicks, but they basically wanted, so they talk about women in history. That's what, that's what The History Chicks is about. But they made a spinoff podcast about called The Recapery, where they recap um, like movies, books, TV shows about like historical figures. Um, so they did an episode about Elmod Montgomery, who wrote Anne of Green Gables. And so then they like covered the first season of uh and with an e on this new podcast the recapery and it's like just really interesting because they like dive deep into like both the people who made the show and also like how close it is to the books and uh, and like the costuming mm-hmm. and like the era like period stuff and it's awesome it's really nice good. yeah I don't. That's fine. Maybe you got. I one. don't have one for me, but I want to suggest one to you, and mm-hmm. it is um, AI-driven app called Clue, um, which is which sounds interesting. It's basically a way to, at its base, it's basically a way to um, track your period. Okay, so there's a lot of apps out there, I gather, that try to do this, um, but this one is special, apparently, in its. Um, you know, in its inclusivity, um, for instance, it, uh, it, it, do- it doesn't, you know, focus on women, but it focuses on anybody who might, um, you know, have who, a period, might have a period. Um, it's got good accuracy. It's, it does, um, it, it does, uh, work to play a role for, um, as a continuing sex educator for women. And, um, it sounds to me like from reading this article, this article is an L, um, it sounds to me like uh, it could be really useful in your line of work. Do people ever come to you and say, I wish, you know, how do I track my period? You know, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Do you do you recommend any ways to do this? Um, Usually I just say, yeah, so there are apps on your phone. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I say you can use your calendar app and just like put it in yeah. 
you know, just like insert it or yeah, there's like tons of apps. Well, I would, um, I would love to see you guys try this out. Um, I don't, what's it called again? It's called clue. I think it's free. Um, and I'd love to hear right now. I am too. And I'd love to hear, um, some, someday more about what you think this is and its utility. And maybe if you would recommend it possibly to your patients. Well, here's the thing. I don't she can't. I'll try because uh, well, I. But you. I'll could, try it. But you could certainly give the app a try and and yeah. uh, you know see. Well, it is free. Yeah, I'll see how it, what its other functions yeah. are. Uh, it says it's number one recommended by gynecologists, Whoa. so that's interesting. Maybe I, we are off the boat or something. Miss the boat on that. Yeah. Well, no, miss the boat no more. Podfather mm-hmm. Dave is here to give you the best period tracking apps <laughs> <laughs> this is like the most most mansplaining <laughs> i'm here for you here for you ladies we'll weigh in on that sometime in the future all right well then i guess we're done for the day yeah exciting nice talking to you both as always yes you i'm too. glad i don't have to miss you guys i know it is this super is a convenient. great side effect of doing a podcast together and continuing to do it. And also, I'm relieved that as difficult as it is to find, you know, sort of times to do it to, together, it's definitely possible. Because mm-hmm. I was really worried about that. Same. Right. So we'll continue, listeners, doing what we do. You continue doing what yep. you do. Awesome. Bye. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.